You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Thursday, March 4th, the Batman arrives. Join Carl and Amy each week as they break it down 20 minutes at a time. club within the club the real club it's a mob hangout is that where you work selena no i just work the bar upstairs but i see him come in who a lot of guys that shouldn't be there i can tell you that your basic upstanding citizen types. You're gonna help me on this. For your friend. You got a lot of cats. I have a thing about strays. I'm not safe here. I can take care of myself. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our second episode of the Bat and the Cat podcast, a weekly podcast breaking down Matt Reeves's The Batman 20 minutes at a time. Here in episode two, titled Of Penguins and Cats, I am once again your host, Carl, and I am joined by the Selena Kyle of the show. We've got Amy. You know, Carl. I am very excited for this episode. I know you are. <laughs> you finally <laughs> make your entrance. Uh, and, no. and it's epic. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're gonna learn about all the things I have about strays. Great. Because they need so love. They need love too, you know. <laughs> uh I just I always remember watching uh Price is Right with my brother at the end of every episode when Bob Barker said, make sure to get your Cats and, you know, your cats and dogs spayed, right? Because he was so worried about stray animals. So Selena Kyle would have been such an ally um, of, of Mr. Barker. Anyway, nobody nobody came here for prices, right, Amy? They came for the Batman. And the cat. And the cat. The Batman and the cat man. Cat woman. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Carl. Oh, oh, geez, Louise. Get it right, Carl. Uh, but, Amy, we are looking at uh, the the basically minute 21 through minute 40 of the Batman. Uh, so we're picking right up where we left off last week, which of course saw Bruce making his way to the bat cave. Uh, we'll pick up there and go all the way through, uh, his initial encounters with Selena and, uh, interacting with her in her own apartment. Um, so Amy, we open this, uh, particular, uh, portion of the movie, with Bruce kind of rewatching the footage from the night before, we see that fancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't know how you are with eyes. Eyes freak me out I, every time I watch this movie, <laughs> and I've watched it a lot. Uh, I I literally have to look away when he takes the contact lens out. I can't watch people touch their eyes. It freaks me out, which is also why I can't wear contacts. I <laughs> I feel like you wear contacts though, right? 
No, I've never worn contacts. Oh, I okay. only had glasses over the last few years of my life, but I, I also cannot watch people put contacts in and out. Yeah, it freaks me the heck out. I, I just, they're just, they terrify me. Uh, um, but the, another really cool homage to uh, something we've seen in the Batman comic lore. So in Scott Snyder's Batman run uh, from the early 2000s, uh, we see Bruce Wayne slash Batman use these contact lenses uh for the exact same purpose they're using this movie, basically just to record things um, so that he can keep tabs on everything. So a cool little homage that Matt Reeves gives to the Scott Snyder universe of, um, sorry, not Scott Snyder. Uh, that's the director. <laughs> no, 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 I am right. It is Scott Snyder. Zack Snyder is the director. Scott Snyder is the comic writer. So I am right. There's just a couple, too many Snyders, Amy, too many Snyders. All the Snyders. <laughs> Strays uh, and Snyders. Yeah, that's that's the new title of the episode. Um, but as, as, as Bruce is kind of rewatching things, he's got the news playing in the background. And it's really cool that something in the way, the way it's mixed into the audio is it is actually Bruce listening to it in the cave. Because then when the news starts reporting about, uh, you know, 20 years ago, you know, in an eerie coincidence, 20 years ago, another po- political favorite was was slain. And you see Bruce turn the music down to, to watch this uh, this news clip about his parents own death. And I think what struck me is the fact that they mentioned that it's a murder that has still gone unsolved to this day. Right. So Mm -hmm. in previous Batman stories, we always know, you know, the famous story, it's it was Joe Chill, right? Joe Chill is the the name of the 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 criminal on the street who guns down Thomas and Martha Wayne. Um, But what's interesting in this story is that Bruce still doesn't know. I mean, it just makes me think what that must do to his psyche, Uh, how how much he must still be wanting to know that answer Mm -hmm. of who actually uh, killed his parents. Well, it just adds to the the power from the scene before when he makes eye contact with that little boy and, you know, he feels that failure that he wasn't able to save this kid's father and, you know, he's getting it all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's, I, I, I think it's interesting that he turns the music down too, though, to, to, to listen to the thing. Um, it's, it's, my interpretation of him blasting that that track by Nirvana is it's this is the song that helps him cope. This is the thing that kind of helps him drown out the noise. Um, but by turning it down, right, he's tuning in to that trauma that he st- still has not really dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's why he's vengeance. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. We finally get to meet Alfred, our new Alfred, of course, played by mm-hmm. Andy Serkis. Um, and what do you, th- what, you know, what was kind of your initial takeaway of, of their relationship, especially this early, this early encounter between the two of them? I mean, this, this opening scene of, of Alfred coming in is so interesting to me because you see them both looking at the news uh, of this flashback of what happened 20 years ago. And it's this moment that, you know, haunts both of them. It's a mystery. They both you know, don't know the answer to, but it's what also brought them together in their life as well. Um, and you see this, this older man, uh, you know, still, uh, very classy, um, with the way he's dressed coming in on a crutch and you can tell, you know, he's, he's been through a lot in his life too. And this still haunts him as well. Yeah. Uh, I I think something that I appreciate about this incarnation of Alfred, and we'll probably talk about this later on in the movie, especially when we get to the scene where, 
you know, he's, he has that really heartfelt conversation with Alfred in the hospital. Um, but just looking at the way Alfred is built, he really fills out that shirt he's wearing. Right? This isn't Michael Caine. This isn't mm-hmm. uh, previous incarnations of kind of an older man. And it's always been part of the mythology that Alfred was a former, um, I think, like MI5 agent or something like that. Something, you know, high up in British intelligence. So we've there's always been this sensibility that he had training that he passes on mm-hmm. to Bruce. But my takeaway of Alfred's role in this particular world is he's less of a butler and more of a bodyguard like that was kind of my takeaway of who alfred is in this movie is um and, and i'm fast forwarding so much and i apologize <laughs> but uh <laughs> right i mean he's like when he says later in that hospital but you know it's my job to protect them uh i think that's actually quite literal and and just looking at the way he's built like he's built like a guy who can fight <laughs> he's built like a guy who can can go toe to toe with with some folks um, so it just, it makes me reevaluate who even Alfred is in this universe. And I kind of like that more like this, the servant role of a Butler is kind of being done away with that. He was actually somebody who really was, you know, I mean, Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne, they're these, they're the glimmerati of Gotham. They're extremely wealthy billionaires who also have political aspirations. It would make sense that he's got some bodyguards around him. Um, and it makes sense that Alfred would be in charge of that. So I don't know. It just, it makes me think that Alfred's role is a little bit different than it's been in previous incarnations. Yeah. I I mean, I agree. I see him as the bodyguard, uh, you know, when the Waynes were alive. Um, and then, you know, I see it as more, he feels this is still, he's indebted to service to them and his debt to pay is to help raise this boy. And in this scene, he talks about his days in service and you can he sees the cipher and, you know, he can he can recognize that it's a cipher. And um, we'll see it in a little while. He, he figures it out pretty quickly what's in the cipher. Um, but I see him more for Bruce as like a mentor, a teacher. Mm. You know, Br- Bruce says to him, you're not my father. And, and Alfred acknowledges he's not his father. But you can tell there's this there's this closeness, but also a separation that they have from each other. Um, more on the part, I think, of Bruce slash Batman side of it um, than it is in Alfred's. But, you know, Alfred shows he's very intelligent. Um, He has the brawn and, you know, Bruce had to learn this somewhere to become the Batman. And I feel like that's part of um, what Alfred is there for, is that he he was this guardian. He was this mentor uh, and just, you know, does his service for for Bruce while he can. And because he has this unsolved mystery himself, he, you know, he, he wants to know what happened too. And he probably can't be at peace until he knows. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) Um, well, and I like the way this scene kind of ends between them where they have this kind of tense conversation around, um, you know, why, why is Bruce doing this? And, and, you know, he's, he's totally neglecting any sort of responsibility he has to Wayne Enterprises and to the Wayne Foundation, whatever that may be. Um, and these are things that aren't particularly expounded on a lot in this movie. But, you know, Alfred is really trying to call him to task that Bruce Wayne also has a responsibility. But for mm-hmm. Bruce, right, he says to him, what I'm doing is my family's legacy. Like he sees his work as the Batman is somehow a continuation of what his father was trying to do with the renewal plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I, I'd love to see that fleshed out more in the sequel. Um, 
But Bruce doesn't really he doesn't care to get involved with with any of that other stuff, because for him, the the good work that needs to be done in Gotham is eradicating crime and eradicating evil. So that's why he's become the Batman in his mind. Right. And we'll we'll obviously have this evolving conversation as we go through the movie, because his his understanding of what it means to be the Batman is going to evolve. Yeah, I mean, they they have this different definition of what the family legacy is. And, you know, Alfred knows things that he, you know, he's probably never shared with Bruce as Bruce has been a kid growing up. And, you know, you don't really know when you when you've seen somebody from child to adult, you know, when do you start having those more adult conversations with them? Um, And you can see sometimes the way Alfred looks at him. And when when Alfred sees that kid, when uh, when Bruce is rewatching the films from the past night's footage, just the way he looks at this kid, it's, it's probably the same way he looked at Bruce when Bruce's parents were killed and it's giving him his own flashbacks and starts to make these connections as to why, you know, why Bruce is, is doing this and sees this as his version of the family legacy. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, brilliant acting by Andy circus too. similar to, to how uh, Batman responds in the moment when we were back in Mayor Mitchell's apartment and he sees the boy and right. He kind of just eventually lowers his eyes to the ground, you know, and this almost like a sense of defeat. And I feel like Alfred's mm-hmm. almost mirroring that in that, in that moment when he sees the boy and sees it through Bruce's eyes. Um, it, it, there's a feeling of dejection and probably uh, failure as well. Um, and actually something that made me think of is one of my favorite Batman graphic novels is uh Dark Victory by Jeff Loeb and Tim Tim Sale. Uh, it's the 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 immediate sequel to the Long Halloween, which of course is one of the most popular Batman graphic novels of all time. Um, I actually prefer Dark Victory, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Dark Victory is the story of of Bruce meeting Dick Grayson and 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 adopting him as basically to become Robin. And later on in that book, there's some really good uh, mirrored uh, p- uh, panels in the comic of uh, Alfred encountering dick in the same way he encountered young bruce uh it's it's really beautifully done that kind of this mirroring for alfred because once again it's like oh my gosh this is like young bruce but uh all over again and i i feel like that's yeah. almost kind of what's going on in that in that closing moment there uh uh amy if you don't mind i gotta make a uh, observation here real quick so we finally get to go into Wayne Manor, but the shot that develops is a really gorgeous shot of of beautiful Bruce without a shirt on, um, <laughs> and his, right? As he's putting that shirt on over his head, and we oh. we get to see you know some of the scars and the bruises yeah. and the the battering he's taken as the Batman, um, which is of course something we saw a lot of in, in, in early on in the dark night when we see Christian Bale putting a shirt on, you know, we see all these bruises and scrapes and cuts uh, mm-hmm. again, keeping with that realism of if you're out there fighting every night, you're going to have the body to show for it. What I've, I gen, just genuinely curious your take, you know, what, what is your thought on the way they decided to get Robert Pattinson fit for this role? Right. I mean, this is a total departure of what Ben Affleck did with, you know, his take on Batman. Right. He I mean, he filled that suit out. He was this bulker, this bruiser. And now you've got Pattinson, who's relatively thin, but also fit. What, what do you I mean? What do you think of this developing shot of his gorgeous back? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, well, I mean, he he's fit, but he's not that like 
overly bulky, which is great because it does make him more human in this. And, you know, he has this gothic emo look to him, um, which is fantastic, too, because and he's, he's, he's very awkward, too. He's not this, like, uh, gorgeous playboy that we're used to seeing, you know, Bruce Wayne always be. This person, you know, doesn't even really know who Bruce is. They're the Batman, and that's who they are. Um, and, you know, he, he talks about scars in other parts of the movie as we go forward. We'll talk more about it. Um, but yeah, like you said, Carl, he wears his scars and, you know, it's probably a reminder to him as well. Uh, you know, he he said he has to force himself to watch what happened the night before. And those are ways to force him to not forget about what's happened. Yeah. Um, I, 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 can't help but make a quick comment about the physical fitness of Mr. Pattinson in this movie. Uh, um, so the, the, the head stunt coordinator and trainer for the movie was named, uh, his name's Robert Alonzo. Um, and the type of shape they wanted to get Rob into for the movie was an actually uh, uh, kind of a more lean Batman. Again, leaning towards that sensibility of realism. Uh, they wanted somebody who looked like they could go out there and spend a whole night fighting. Like if you're mm-hmm. really bulky and big, like Ben Affleck was, you're going to get gassed pretty quick. <laughs> so if you're actually human, um, which Batman is supposed to be. Uh, so I like that in, in some folks who are a lot more educated than I am about actual, like physical muscle anatomy, they said just in that developing shot of his back, you can actually see, like, as he's putting that shirt on, if you watch the way his muscles bend and move, they're super malleable. They're not like a big bodybuilder that is all like stone cold muscles that are kind of rigid. Like they had him doing a lot of yoga. They had him doing a lot of stretching because they wanted this to be a body that was fit, but also very flexible. Yeah, um, I can see that. So I, I just, again, I, I, I like that it's something different and, and it's different for a reason. You know, I mean, they had Ben Affleck get in a certain shape for a reason. Christian Bale, I felt like he was, he was somewhere in the middle of these two. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he, he was definitely very muscular, but he wasn't super bulky, which again is kind of crazy. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I really like that. Um, well, they also, um, and there was, a, I can't remember what exactly part of this scene they have it happen, but they do a, a shot of his dirty hands and you can tell his hands just look worn out and tired. Mm. Um, and there's dirt on the fingernails, dirt all over his hands. And that's not something, you know, you normally see. With, with at least from what I remember of Batman's either, they're always like, you know, they look pretty clean cut when they come back to their, their cave and ready to go. Um, but he's, he's, you know, he's still in his, his raw form. He's got some leftover makeup. He's got the dirty hands, uh, you know, just figuring it all out. And you can tell he's tired himself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that point, Amy, about his hands. Like they are, they're dirty and gritty and they're also Whenever we see him right out of the costume, they're always wrapped like a boxer. He's he's always mm-hmm. got his hands wrapped like a boxer. Again, if you're out there punching somebody every night, you don't want to break your knuckles. <laughs> so, um, but I, I this so we really only get one particular set piece of Wayne Manor. It's essentially this almost like dining area dining area type space. Like you mentioned earlier, it's very gothic. It reminds oh, me a it. lot of Tim Burton style. What, what do you think? You're more of you're much more of the Burton fan than I am. Did you f- see that kind of similarity? It just yeah, and you know it's it's what when I think of Gotham, I think gothic, and that's mm. exactly what I would expect this loner person who calls themselves the Bat <laughs> living in this kind of like dungeony looking gothic 
castle looking place inside and you know like you can hear the echo of anything that moves in that place whether it be a footstep or a piece of furniture it's just and everything's echoey too it's just everything about that space is fantastic to me yeah <laughs> it's it and we don't really get to see enough of it because there's a lot of there's a there's a couple deleted scenes of alfred and batman in that space that didn't make the movie um, but he, like, we actually see like an electric guitar laying on the floor and a bunch of big amps. So again, just really Matt Reeves really wanted to lean into this whole idea of kind of this reclusive rock star. Um, but we don't get to see any of that cause they cut all that stuff out of the movie. Um, I, I, I want to say, unfortunately, but the movie's three hours. Like it, it makes sense to cut that out. <laughs> it's, it's not necessary. <laughs> it doesn't feel like three does, hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what definitely grabs me about this is of course, you know, Alfred's helping him figure things out. Like it's, it's very clear. Like, you know, you said earlier, he's, he's got, he's got his own training, but I love that Bruce has to put the sunglasses on, right? Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like early morning. And I mean, he says it in the opening uh, monologue that he's, he's become a nocturnal animal. And, I think that's really true. I mean, his it's almost like his, I mean, his physical body's chemistry has been almost rewritten over the last two years. So, uh, I mean, I think it's it's easy to poke fun and be like, oh, look at him just being emo and whatnot, putting those sunglasses on. But it's it's genuine like he's not yeah. used to daylight. So he needs to put that on. I just I find that so telling. Well, even, you know, it's and daylight in Gotham is more an overcast. I don't mm. think I, I recall seeing the sun really at all. It was just, you know, you knew it was daytime because it was lighter out, but it was still this overcasted uh, cloud sky that's really bringing the light into the room. Um, and, you know, Alfred's sitting at the table like anybody would be in the morning. <laughs> and and um, when when somebody else starts approaching, you can see Bruce get a little more uncomfortable and awkward to and have the glasses on. And makes gives him that more, I think, like a personality around another person that's not Alfred either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to your point, you're right. The only time we really see the sun in this movie is it's overcast, except for the end of the movie, which I can't wait to get to that when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, not yet, Carl. Not yet. Not way too <laughs> we got soon. some time. Way too soon. Uh, we got another two hours and 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> Who's counting? Uh, but I. Uh, I I love that he and Alfred worked. I mean, he kind of. I like that Bruce kind of always has the edge. Like I, Alfred is, it's certainly helping to figure out. But it's Bruce who's you know basically says like eliminate all these characters, and he's like okay, but nothing. What will remain? And it's like oh, the final clue. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I I love that Bruce is. I mean, it, it it's as Matt Reeves said time and time again. This is about showing Batman as the world's greatest detective. Um. And then we get it. We get another scene, and I would say our first real intimate scene with Batman and Gordon. Um, oh, it's so fun! It's so <laughs> so good. What stands out to you in, in this in this scene of them investigating together? It's just like you know they're walking together, and you can tell that they get along. They 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 do trust each other, but they have this question of trust. And Gordon even says to him, "I don't know who you are, man." Yeah, like you know they don't really know much but they just know the other one is a good person and trying to do the right things and it's just it's just nice to see just this interaction between them and just this bond that they have that they they can at least trust each other in a world that's so dirty yeah i i love their chemistry in every scene they're together in this movie uh and you know it's really almost like a a buddy cop story with the two of them in certain instances and, you know, I, the quote you you reference, right, when he's like, don't you trust me? It's been two years, man. I don't even know who you are, man. Like, I love the casualness of it. Like, 
he still but he still trusts him even though he doesn't mm-hmm. know who he is um and uh when uh when batman finds the thumb drive right the the oh. usb with a mitchell's thumb attached to it um gordon Carl, i lol'd yeah. so hard in the theater <laughs> oh my gosh well i what what grabbed me, shockingly enough, not really, uh, was Gordon just going, Jesus. Gordon yeah. says Jesus a lot in this movie. He's, he's Yeah. And I mentioned this last week, but one of my favorite attributes of Gordon in this particular story is he is kind of the man of faith. And, and again, I don't mean that from a re- I don't mean that religiously, but he really has faith in Batman and what Batman is about. Um, so I find it funny that like every time he's kind of shocked or disgusted or horrified by something, he just kind of exclaims Jesus. And again, I don't think it's, I don't think it's some sort of Christian prayer, but it's, it's, it is almost like this calling for like, wow, Gotham really needs a hero, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it, it really like Gordon himself is embodying that kind of hopeful side of Gotham looking for some sort of savior, um, so and, and again, I'm not try, don't mean to imply literally Jesus, but um, I, I no, think, but even he, you know, he says stuff like, "Oh, this guy's hilarious," and yeah. it's just, like, yeah, it's just so funny just to to like listen to him. But you can tell he's like, he's a little creeped out by what's going on and like the morbidness of this, but also, yeah, like at least Batman's here and can help with this and is figuring it out. Yeah. Um, well, and then when he, you know, he puts the thumb drive in and unlocks it with the thumb. And all the emails, so the pictures come up, but then they all get sent out to the emails. And he goes, he's just like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. that that was the first thing where I really LOL'd in the movie is I thought that was so funny. He's like, where he's just like, oh, Pete's going to bust a gasket. I'm going to catch hell for this. <laughs> you know, yeah. like he's, he's well aware that uh, and because it's all getting sent out from his email account, too. Um, but uh, right. It, they've cracked another code They're they're one step closer to hopefully figuring things out. And when they realize where the next place they need to go is the iceberg lounge home of Falcone and the penguin. I love this. This is something that's always been true for Jim, Jim Gordon and every incarnation of Batman is he has to be comfortable with the fact that the Batman breaks the law. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, which makes me think of one of my favorite quotes ever from a Jim Gordon character is, is of course Gary Oldman in dark Knight rises when he's telling Joseph Gordon Levitt's character, you know, eventually the laws, you know, the laws and the the system, it, they become shackles, right. Is, is kind of what he tells him. And I feel like this Gordon kind of embraces that as well because he says to Batman, he's like, well, no way I'm getting in there without a warrant. And he just kind of gives him a side eye and he goes, yeah, <laughs> Like he knows Batman's going to roll up in there and, and, and kick some butt. Uh, and he's, and he's okay with it. Right. Like I think Gordon kind of exists in this wild West mentality of Batman's the sheriff. And sometimes he's going to bend the law and I'm going to always look the other way. Yeah. I mean, he needs it. It's a, it's a way to get things done that he can't actually get to himself. And that, that just shows the purity in Gordon as well, that, Batman sees too that you know he doesn't even he doesn't even stray to that level at all he lets you know he knows he knows Batman does it but he has that trust in him too Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely uh so Batman's gonna roll up to the iceberg lounge yes (laughs) we got our we got our second fight scene and the first 
you know, half hour of the movie, which is great because we're not going to get another one till like two an hours later. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, that I will say, I'll, I'll admit right now, that's my only one of my few small critiques of the movies. I would have liked a little bit more action. Um, but uh, all that aside, Batman rolls up to the to the Iceberg Lounge and I just he's so confident. You know, he stares down these bouncers like I want to see the penguin, mm-hmm. you know. That suit's going to get all full of blood. Mine or yours. <laughs> you know? That's such a badass line. Like, so good. I, when he says that to them, I'm like, yes, here we go. Yeah. This is going down. Yeah. <laughs> so when he assaults these two bouncers straight away, um, I don't know if, you, if you've ever caught this, Amy, but there's you hear somebody say i saw the whole thing like implying that they're going to report on the batman right like they're going to report him so you're right all the club goers and stuff they're they're kind of horrified by him and disgusted by the batman so i i love that you can hear somebody yell i saw the whole thing um and as batman starts making his way into the club you know he's bumping into people just he doesn't shove anybody out of his way. He just moves. And if you're in the way, you're getting moved, right? Like, I kind of mm-hmm. like that he's this he's this unstoppable force. Um, and he's got this leveling up thing going like a video game as he's going yeah. level by level, getting to the penguin, the yeah. boss level. <laughs> as he, and as he's making his way into kind of the heart of the club, you'll actually see as he's walking through this crowd of people, Um, there's a hallway down to the, if you're looking at the frame, if you look down to the right, you'll see a bunch of other bouncers and security guards run out of a side office, um, and start following him. Like it's, it's a really cool thing. It only lasts for a second, but you notice like, oh, this is where all these guys, they obviously see him on camera and they come rushing out of the office to, to come confront him. Um, when he walks into the main club area, you got these, you know, the, it's, it's very much that that club atmosphere. I've never been in a place like this in real life. Cause I would probably just pass out from overstimulation. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the flashing red lights really made me think of the opening of the movie blade. Do you remember that movie with Wesley Snipes? Oh yeah. Such a good movie. I love the opening of that movie. It just, it has, it just gave me a similar feel to that when blade rolls up into the club and just starts kicking ass. Um, so Batman engages in another hand to hand fight and, uh, the two things I just want to note about the fight um, myself, and obviously feel free to say whatever you want to, Amy. Uh, I think the first thing that I just really enjoy is he does the first guy that tries to, you know, grab him by the shoulder. He turns around, punches him once, and then throws him down the stairs and does what's called a shove kick. Uh, this is something used in MMA fighting styles. Uh, it's just it's usually just used as a way of separating yourself from the from your opponent just for a moment to to gather yourself. But it works very well when you're shove kicking somebody downstairs, <laughs> you know, um, and you know who else really loved the shove kick? Who? Bane in Dark Knight Rises when he's fighting Batman in the sewers. Oh, he uses he uses yeah. a really powerful shove kick against Batman. Uh, um, Tom Hardy, another great one. Really good. Yeah. Um, and then the only other thing I want to mention is just it get, similar to like what we talked about last week with that opening fight with the with the street gang his fighting style is just very raw and it's very boxer oriented. I mean, mm-hmm. he, all he does is throw strikes. And the one that really stands out to me is after he throws the one guy over the railing, another guy comes running up, Batman blocks the guy's punch and then just literally one punch to the guy's face. And the guy goes out cold. And that's actually really realistic. If you punch, I mean, this is, this is kind of what I like the way they trained Rob to fight in this movie is he fights like a boxer. And if you, 
I mean, all it takes sometimes is one good punch to the side of somebody's head. They're going out cold. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you see it all the time in boxing. You see it in MMA. So there's a real brutality to that. And again, I'm not like celebrating the violence for violence sake, but just the realism of it. If you watch the way he punches that guy before he jumps down, uh, Batman literally just clocks the guy once and he just drops like a sack of potatoes. Like it's like, yep, that's a very realistic strike. Um, so yeah, just there's such a brutality to that, to the way he fights. Yeah. Well, then he gets to the top and you can see penguin having this look of like, what the heck just happened here? And he, he looks at him. He's like, Oh, you're everything they say. I guess we both are. And you know, you're, you know, you're about to have this, like, like again, the video game boss level Mm -hmm. matchup about to go down. But it's more, and then it becomes more of this peaceable, all right, we'll have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of, uh, of course, our, our unrecognizable Colin Farrell as the Penguin? So much respect. that Colin Farrell rocked it as the Penguin. And, you know, he really, this again, brings more humanity to the Penguin character. He's somebody who is extremely intelligent, which, you know, other renditions of the penguin have have made him intelligent um he he has a bunch of scars going on you know you don't really get to hear you don't know what what's going on with that maybe we'll learn something in the series coming out i don't know um but he has this more mob boss mentality to him and and running the club and it just it seems more fitting for who a penguin is and colin farrell just i didn't realize it was him until somebody told me after the movie and i was like no way and i had to go look it up and keep looking it up to, to make sure it wasn't fake news in this one site. I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> he just blew me away as Penguin. Yeah. I And I think something I really appreciate about the way he, he inhabits the character as well is in this entire scene, he's not even slightly intimidated by Batman too, which, right, the, the strength of a villain is also how they stand up against the hero of the story. Um, you know, I mean, he, he's not even, Batman just rolled up, beat the hell out of half of his security force. And he's just like, come have a, you know, come sit down with me, have a drink, whatever, like relax, ch- relax champ, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, so I think it, it, it immediately like makes me enjoy Oz as a character because of the mm-hmm. fact that he's not afraid of Batman. Well, it seems um, he has a respect for him. Do you think that? I think he does. I think, I think he has a respect for him for what he's doing and, you know, like sees, he probably sees like a little bit, I don't know how to do this without like talking about the <laughs> future parts of it, but just the, the way that they communicate with each other, it seems like Penguin has this little bit of a mutual respect for this, this person who does this thing. You know, they, they both are, you know, some kind of creature when you really think about it, the Penguin and the Batman, and they both do things. People think they're weird. Some people are scared of them. Some people, appreciate them you know they they have some commonalities to them yeah for sure yeah um so uh then we finally get our girl we get selena strolling in um the boot stop to the beat of the music in the club too yeah that little i mean she is zoe kravitz is a very small human (laughs) I think she's like five, two or five, three. I mean, uh, she's a very small person, but that outfit they pick is obviously very sensual. It's very, very sexy. Um, 
And I like the way when she comes in and she, you know, she's kind of chewing the gum. Like she's, she's totally in her zone. She's very confident and comfortable, but then she sees Batman and she immediately stops and she stops chewing the gum too. Like she's, I don't, what, what do you think her response is when she sees him, when she walks in? What, why, why is she kind of like frozen in place for a moment? Is, is she scared? Is she just like, holy crap, he's actually real? Like, what, what do you think's going through her head? I think it's more of a, what's he doing here? Hmm. I think it's just, you know, she, she has her own motives for being there that we learn about going forward. And it's just, you know, what's, what's this guy doing here? You know, is he, is he one of the, you know, people that are always coming here, you know, like she, she sees low lives all the time or people who are corrupt all the time in the iceberg lounge and uh, 44 below. So, you know, it's probably just that what, what's, what's his reason for being here. Yeah. Uh, Curiosity in the cat. That's right. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not sure quite what I, I do feel like there is a part of him. There is probably just a base part of him where he is obviously recognized. This is a very attractive woman. Um, but I think at the end of the day, he's Batman and he's Batman right now in this moment. And he's just probably thinking, who is this? You know, is she part of the, is she part of the puzzle in any way? Um, yeah, I, well, I think he looks at it as like, a, it's an observation that she's attractive, but yeah, no, like real, no attraction in there. It's just like, oh, here's, here's a person and she's, she's attractive. That's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Although there is something just like... And it's probably just because I've been reading a lot of Batman comics lately. And I've mentioned before, Tom King is he's definitely my favorite Batman writer as it stands. Um, And so much of his his run is basically a Batman Catwoman story. And he constantly talks about how they just kind of have this primordial connection, like they're constantly drawn to each other. And I even feel like in this shot, just the way they lock eyes for just those brief moments, there is almost just like this primordial connection. Um, if we want to use Star Wars language from the much maligned episode nine, mm. they could very well be a, a dyad in the force. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, he when he puts the pictures down, too, and Annika's in the picture, you see this look on her and he's studying her hard as she's looking at this picture. And now he's curious about her. And it's it's, you know, it becomes less of an attraction and more. She's got information. Mm, yeah. Yeah, she becomes an asset right away, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, well, and that, as she leaves, uh, he once again kind of, you know, when Penguin kind of hands him back the the pictures, he's looking at them again. And, and something Robert Pattinson talked about in some of the behind the scenes features was, you know, for him, the way he understood Batman as a detective is, is he's basically just he's just very observant and he just picks up on mm-hmm. things that he observes. And I think the way Matt Reeves chooses to shoot some of these scenes with the close ups of just Batman's eyes, you know, we, we see him looking down at the picture. We see, we see again, Rob is such a good (laughs) eye actor that he's amazing. He just recognizes something in that picture. He sees her boots, even though he doesn't see her face, he sees the boots in that picture (laughs) and then also notices her peering in as, as, and then kind of swiftly leave. Like he understands, okay, I've got to follow her. Yeah. And I mean, I, one thing, one thing that I just want to mention that I observe about Selena when she's in the club too, I always love that she wears wigs in there mm. and it's like, it's almost, it that's her costume in there because this isn't her identity. This is her being what she needs to be for a purpose. Um, 
And I, I love that that's kind of like her own way of having a costume in there that represents her versus when she, you know, has her Catwoman-esque costume that we see going forward in other scenes. Yeah. Oh, great pull. <laughs> um, one cool I pay attention to Selena. Yeah. Well, so does, so does Batman. <laughs> when she, when we get that outdoor shot of her leaving the club, um, I actually wrote this down in case any of you listening want to go see it for yourself. Uh, at the 31 minute and 57 second mark of the movie, you, you get that kind of big wide shot outside the club of the train going by, but you see the Riddler taking pictures in his apartment. Um, so you can, right. And like, we learned that later in the movie that he, he lived right across the street from the iceberg lounge. So at 3157, you will see in his apartment, you see Riddler with a, a, a like a long lens camera taking pictures as Selena's mm-hmm. leaving the club. It's just really cool little grab. Um, so she obviously calls up Annika. What do you think her relationship is to Annika? Are they, are, are they, uh, romantic partners? Is it a friend? Is it is it all of those things and more? What do you, what was your kind of takeaway of her relationship to Annika? I I think she loves her in like a motherly big sister kind of way because even later on when she talks to Batman about her she and she's crying about her being missing she's like she's just a kid and for me personally like I don't I don't see people who are romantically involved saying she's just a kid mm. um, but they have a love and they have a bond and they have a connection. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think it's romantic, but it, it it is something they, they do have a love there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's kind of how I saw it as well Is it's, it's more of like a protector role. Um, and, and possibly like a big sister. Selena has a very maternal sensibility to her. And I think that's where Mm -hmm. Annika kind of falls. Um, and I also well, think that they could have been intimate, though, still, too. Right. Like, I, I mean, they're not actually related. So there's no reason to think that maybe there wasn't sort of some sort of physical intimacy early on or um, because when asked about 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 that relationship with Annika in some interviews, Selena or Selena, Zoe Kravitz confirmed that to her, Selena is is a queer character. Right. She mm-hmm. she's attracted to, to all genders. Um, so. Does that immediately mean that her and Annika have a, a, a sexual relationship? Not necessarily, but I do think that Selena's open to loving on anyone and everyone. <laughs> and I like no, that. No, but and, and see, that's what I love more about it is, you know, we've talked about that before. And as somebody who is a bisexual woman and, you know, there's always the stereotype that that means that, like, you're just hooking up with everybody. It's nice to see, you know, they're showing her having this loving, intimate relationship with a woman it doesn't necessarily have to be romantic and that happens that's reality she can be a queer woman and not be physical Mm. with every woman she interacts with yeah for sure good that's a that's a really good thing uh really worth noting amy um yeah um so then we get some voyeurism if you will (laughs) as uh as bruce is watching her you know go into the place obviously see annika provide care right she goes to a medicine cabinet to get her medicine right she 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 immediately goes into caregiver mode mm-hmm. um and uh remember i sh- when i was watching this movie with with a, a close friend of mine um who's who's experienced a lot more of life than i have <laughs> um but as we were watching it he just goes "Ooh, this scene is so sexy it's so voyeuristic and the noob that i am i'm like what's that mean <laughs> so <weird. laughs> 
tell me what it was. And I was like, okay. And it make then I was fi- like, it finally clicked to me why that the title of that particular track on the on the soundtrack is, um, oh shoot, what is it? Uh, something voyeur, like don't be voyeur with me or something. So it, you know, even Michael Giacchino, the composer, is hinting at there's a sense of voyeurism, and and it is the music is very sensual. Like she's obviously getting undressed, and but I don't think for Bruce, I I don't think he is watching with some sort of sexual intent he's just watching he's just he's just investigating Mm -hmm. but i even think and i don't i don't know if you'll agree with this too amy but even just the close-up shots of just his you know his eyes with the slight makeup and his his eyebrows are like even his eyebrows are sexy like it drives me a little crazy (laughs) like um he's just so damn attractive and she's also so damn attractive so there is i do think the scene is meant to be sensual in a way um and what really grabs me is the way the scene ends when she comes out in essentially her Catwoman costume and, you know, does some cool little acrobatics to get down to the street level. She gets into her motorcycle to drive off. When we get that shot of Bruce running to his bike, I would say he almost seems flustered to me. There's just something about the way he rushes to the bike and turns it on. I think he's kind of surprised by her her versatility, her, her physicality. And it's almost like he's running to catch up to her at this point. Like, I feel like he's always been one step ahead of her, but now he's like, Oh crap, I gotta, I gotta get move on. Mm -hmm. Well, he's always one step ahead of crime too. Right. And when he's watching her, you know, he, he sees, okay, she does know that person in this picture and he's studying what's going on in this room. What are these two up to? What sinister things are they doing? And, um, she's about, she's about to get away. And yeah, he has that like, Oh crap moment. I, I, I gotta go after her. I can't I can't let this person get away. I think I think it becomes this like he, he's still in investigator mode as he's going through it because he's not he's viewing they must be up to something bad if, if she she knows this woman, she's in this house of this woman and there's something going on. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Amy. Um right, that scene where we see Selena kind of putting on her essential catwoman costume, we see a closet full of like chains and whips and all sorts of you know, breaking and entering <laughs> equipment, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in this next scene, we watch her break into the safe in, in Mayor Mitchell's to, to you know, she's clearly very talented at all of this. Why is she poor? And, and I don't mean that, you know, in a judgmental way, but, you know, if she's such a master thief, why is she living in the slums and, and is, is poor is, do you think it's because she's, she, I mean, she, she can't be too out front with it because she'll get caught or, do you think she only ever does it out of necessity? I'm just curious how you interpret that her relationship with this very gifted skill at breaking and entering and, and being, you know, a good thief, which is obviously an integral part of the Catwoman character and also living in the state of poverty. How do you make sense of those, of those two things being true at the same time? I mean, I think she does it out of necessity. I don't think she really does it to be a criminal, you know, like, we, we learn her father is somebody who is a major criminal and I feel like she doesn't want to be anything like him. She's disgusted by him. And so, but you know, she has skills. And so being able to do things out of necessity, kind of like working at the iceberg lounge, like she knows she's an attractive person and that's what they look for to hire people. And Annika works there too, so she can protect her there. And I, I don't think she does any of it um, as, as to be part of the like criminal people that frequent there or, criminal people that would do these type of thievery. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's mostly just a survival tactic then, right? Like a, a way of mm-hmm. keeping herself fed, if you will. Yeah. I mean, she had to, to grow up uh, 
in an orphanage and you know we learn we learn that it's not great to grow up in an orphanage in this type kind of area and you just learn to survive yeah and i think that's that's how i mean i think both these things are true of um anne hathaway's selena kyle in dark knight rises right i mean we know she's a master thief she likes fine things but also lives kind of in a in a more poverty stricken side of of gotham um mm-hmm. so yeah and i think to your point, right? It, it is meant to mitigate the fact that she doesn't want to be a criminal. She doesn't want to be like her father and she obviously knows who her father is. So, I mean, I think her end goal, the reason she's even part of iceberg lounge, why she is ever in 44 below, she's just working that space to try to find her way into getting revenge of some kind on her mm-hmm. piece of crap father. Um, well, what she's owed. Yeah. What she's owed. Um, so, well, then, you know, we, we have our first encounter of the bat and the cat right in their actual personas. Um, <laughs> and they have this they have this fight. I mean, it's it's not much of a fight insofar. Like, I don't I don't feel like Batman's ever in any real threat. And I don't and I don't mean that as a way of disparaging Catwoman's prowess. Um, I don't think either of them are trying to hurt the other one. That's really, because yeah. like she's very gentle with with hers and he's very gentle with hers it's almost like they're dancing yeah it's just they they aren't fighting each other like i feel like they would fight other people that's a great point yeah it's it's it is like a dance i love that amy that's so oh that's so great um and uh, and batman also has his very dramatic cape flare in that moment when she like kind of slides out from under his leg he does this dramatic cape flare as he turns to her i just i love it i like i, I love dramatic <laughs> batman um but uh, but right. She she obviously shows off the ability to fight. She knows how to fight as well. And again, product of her environment. I'm you can probably you can probably not count the number of, you know, scummy men. She's probably had to physically fight off of her in her life. Mm-hmm. Well, you can tell, you know, it's a difference, too, between them where Bruce, you know, probably had training from Alfred growing up and she's had to teach herself all this stuff. That's a, uh, that's such a Amy. I love that you said that because I think. Once we get a little bit more into the Riddler, too, right? These are three orphaned characters who've had very different experiences of what it means to be an orphan. And I think, I think Selena, and I know we'll get into this more as we get deeper into the movie. And I know you and I have had these conversations for the past year, and you, you've really educated me about it. Is that Selena is probably the most fully whole and, uh, in light of her state as an orphan. I feel like she's done the most actual self-care and healing with some of Mm -hmm. it um but can we also just talk though how freaking sexy this scene is though like (laughs) when he slams her down and and i don't know if this is matt reeves's direction if it's in this the 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 screenplay or not but or if it's just zoe's improv but when she kind of just goes and like kind of like thrusts her face up at him when when she's pinned down i mean dude it's like it's hot like that is such a hot little moment what do you think i I like this little play fight scene that they have too, because it, again, it like this whole Batman's human. She's human. Like they're making human grunts when like you're, when you're doing a, a, a fight scene like this, where you're like a yeah, little yeah. frantic, but not trying to hurt the other person. And they just, they just, yeah. And, and this is actually where, um, where, you know, he's, he's been studying her up till now. This is where I actually see that attraction take place. Um, not so much in the iceberg lounge, not so much when he's watching her in an apartment, but this is where that attraction and that um, start to like a, an, an intimacy between them shines. Yeah. 
And well, and you know, and when the police officer comes in to investigate the noises and he just grabs her and puts his mouth, you know, his hand around her mouth, like that, that really sensual music starts playing again as he's holding there. I mean, it's, I don't know. know, To me, it's kind of a bit of a teasing scene again. Um, You know, it, it, it is this really intimate moment. I mean, they are, he, you know, she's right up against him. He's holding her close and, you know, I mean, they're, it's being set up very early on that there is a chemistry between these two characters. And as soon as the cop is gone, she immediately like, you know, separates herself from him. And, and, and he, when I say he lets her, it's, it's, I don't mean it to say like he, he's some sort of like domineering piece of garbage. Um, but it, he respects that, that desire for distance. Um, but he does, I would say he he kind of he kind of pulls the 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 scumbag card out by saying, you know, when she's like, oh, you know, whatever Annika's upset about, she won't even tell me. He's like, yeah, she did seem upset back at your place. It's like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> come on, bro. <laughs> well, you know, and I feel like, you know, and again, this is why for me this goes from that studying and observing her to this attraction side. He's trying to like make her a bad person because he's like. Is this why you why you why you two killed him? Like all this stuff, like mm. being very accusatory. Yeah. But and I think he's trying to find a reason why this attractive woman that he's probably maybe the first time he's ever been attracted to somebody. Why he's suddenly attractive to, attracted to somebody? And he's trying to like ward that off and be like, there's must be something wrong with you. You you did this. You made this murder. And then he's learning like, oh, she didn't do this murder. There's something else going on. It's still a piece of the puzzle. Maybe she's not so bad. She's trying to help a friend. She's trying to steal her passport back. <laughs> yeah. And, th- and that's, and that's exactly what this, like this final scene we're going to look at when they go back to her apartment is Bruce, Bruce, Batman finally gets a window into a world. And I love the way you put it. It's in this moment, uh, you know, he, he everything's so simple to him. You know, it, he, he wants to live in that black and white world where she's, well, she's here stealing. She's a, she's a criminal. You know, she also works at a, at a, a mob hangout. She's a criminal. So it just makes it easy. But as she slowly starts to break open the truth of the world, he has never had to inhabit. Like this is part of, I think the most formative character for Batman in this movie is Selena. Um, And when they go back to her apartment and, you know, she rushes in, you know, it's clearly the place has been ransacked. She's terrified for whatever might have happened to Annika. She knows wherever she is, it's not going to be a good place. But I notice again, Batman goes into detective mode, right? He comes in where we get all those POV shots of him, you know, taking in her apartment, taking in the squalor and the and, and the poverty of that space, you know, looking at that, you know, very late notice electric bill where he, of course, learns her name by reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he's being he's being a detective. And because he's such a smart detective, I think his mind is being open to the fact that she lives in a state of squalor, so she's not as she's not as easy to figure out as he would like her to be. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, and and you know, she they they have those two different versions, like you said, Carl. You know, of what it means to be an orphan, um, along with Riddler. And I, I like that she's there to you know bring him more to this reality because he does see things from a privileged perspective, even though he's trying to do good for for these people. Um, you know, he doesn't know really how to be one with those people because he's never had to suffer for anything like that. Right. Yeah. 
you can't fight for the people if you don't if you don't know how to identify with them in some way. Right. right. Um, so, again, like the, 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 I'll probably say this a lot of times over the next several weeks, but it's why this is my favorite Batman movie is because he goes on a hero's journey. Batman does. It's not about Bruce. It's about Batman learning what it means to be a hero, what it means to be Batman. Um, and Selena is such an integral part of that journey. Um, but of course, while they're there, uh, we get another Riddler video. Well, I guess it's the first video. Um, first thing that just grabs me is would a news station actually play this? Like, holy shit. <laughs> it's so dark. Yeah. I mean, they clearly, I, I, I wonder about that too. Yeah. I mean, they do right. The, we warn you, this is disturbing and obviously they cut it off before the rats actually start mm-hmm. doing them killing. But I even feel like this is too much. Like I don't, can a news station play that? <laughs> do you think it's out of their own fear not to though? Like if they don't play it, then they're also part of these lies and is Riddler going to then kill them? Mm, never thought about it that way. Very, that could very well be true. Um, but Riddler is, I mean, we talked about this last week, right? With his, his, the first glimpse we get of him in Mayor Mitchell's apartment. I mean, he is, he is this terrifying figure. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is, I'm not into like slasher horror horror in general, but right. This contraption, I know it was kind of inspired by something from like the saw movies. I don't know if you watch, if if you ever, are you into those things, Amy? I'm not sure. Yeah, I've watched them. Okay. Um, But they're obviously going for that horror element, which I, which I do appreciate. Like I, again, like I like that it's a PG 13 movie. I love that. It's not, it's not about showing us the gore. It's just by, but they do enough terror by implying it. Mm -hmm. Um, The closest thing I would say from a previous Batman movie to to the kind of horror of this video is actually the the Joker's video in Dark Knight, right? When he's got that guy tied up who's impersonating Batman, and you know, oh, he, yeah. he says that line, "Look at me," right? It's mm-hmm. so terrifying the way Heath delivers that line. Uh, this is a different type of terrifying, right? This is this is this is to me just straight out of a horror movie. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I I, I try to think about when I see that if I was somebody watching the news and that was being filmed about something happening in my my city, you know. We talked about last week how uh, Batman says fear is a powerful tool. Like the Riddler is using that same tool and it would be terrifying. I would be very scared to even walk my dog at night if that was kind of thing happening. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Valid. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, as the video wraps, you know, and they show the picture of, you know, uh, Commissioner Savage. Mm-hmm. Selena's like, oh, shit, I know him, too, you know, and. Batman immediately recognizes that she is privy to information he's ignorant of. Um, mm-hmm. he, I think he immediately sees her then as an ally. Um, you know, to what degree that'll time will tell, but he sees that she is a window into a world he doesn't have direct access to. And that him rolling into just throwing punches isn't going to get him the answers he needs. Um, so I love it. He's like, you're going to help me for your friend, right? Like he, he's leveraging her, mm-hmm. which... There is a little bit of manipulation in that, which I think is rightfully uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, when he's like, but then he, but when he uses her name, right, Selena, and she turns to him. So the, the scripture scholar in me is just absolutely loves that little moment because it's in, uh, in the gospel of John, when, when Mary Magdalene is crying over the tomb of Jesus, it, we're told that he says her name and she turns and immediately recognizes him. It's a beautiful little moment. Like, that's what I always think when I see that, when I watch the scene, I'm like, oh, he says her name and she turns around. Uh, it's, it's, it, oh, wow. Yeah. The thing I like about it, though, too, is, is while, yes, he learns her name, it's, it's him, you know, acquiring these 
these clues. He's he's in detective mode. But I think him saying her name is still a way of recognizing her as a person, right? He says her name. She's not just the the hot girl at the iceberg lounge. She's Selena, you know, um, and and he recognizes her as a person in that moment. Yeah, and you know, it's still it's still that questioning of you know recognizing her as a person and like this kind moment, but it's also that manipulation of if I make this connection with her, then she's going to help me. So he's, he's, you know, kind of using that being personable by saying her name and connecting it to helping find Annika. And now she, you know, she's going to do it because that's what she does. She cares about Annika and will do anything to protect her. Yeah. And then I, it's to me, the funniest moment in the entire movie is we get that POV shot of between his legs with all the cats, you got a lot of cats. <laughs> Got a thing about strays, right? Um, <laughs> and I think that is such a defining aspect of who oh, Selena yeah. is, right? Well, that's, I mean, Annika's a stray and Batman's a stray and she's got a thing about strays and they keep coming, they keep attracting to her like a magnet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that, I mean, that pretty much wraps up this, this second section of, of, of 20 minutes here. Um, any, anything you feel like we missed Amy, anything you wanted to bring up that, uh, the only thing I want to mention is like, we talked about it last week too, about, you know, the, the simplicity of, of the Batman suit, the simplicity of the Riddler's suit, but Catwoman's outfit too, is also very simple. It's a, a winner, a winner pullover hat and, you know, like a, a biker zip up clothing. It's not anything like super strappy or, something like super uh, spandexy skin tight that you're going to have to like fit your whole body into. It's just something that you could just go get in a thrift store or um, get it at just like a motorcycle shop. It's very simple. And I like that it just keeps with that theme of these people are human and they, they use what they can. They're able to utilize the, uh, the outfits that they wear and it's not anything that's totally extravagant or crazy. Yeah. Good point. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, and she still looks fantastic. <laughs> she can't not look fantastic. I know. <laughs> um, well, and, and I mean, his parting words to her in that moment is you're not safe here. And, you know, to your point, there is, there is still a little bit of a domineering sense to that of like, you know, like him trying to be in control, but her response and so casually of like, I can take care of myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't, she doesn't need him. I would say in the way that, uh, maybe just an interesting point that I'm thinking about as we close this out, Amy, the difference between the way she relates to him and Gordon, right? Gordon needs Batman. Selena doesn't. Yeah. Um, that's very true. Yeah. So just a, kind of a neat thing worth noting, but he needs Selena. Yeah, he does. And he's as of yet, hasn't really, well, at least in his mind, hasn't needed anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say he also needs Gordon. Gordon provides that legitimacy for him. Um, but he needs Selena in a totally different way. Yeah, but you know, and I know we mentioned that that scene with with Alfred in the hospital that comes up later on. But I feel like he doesn't make those connections to how much he really needs these people on a personal level until that moment happens and he starts to reflect on that. Yeah. Still, they're like they're just people that help him get to a solution of something. Yep. Solving a case. For sure. Um. 
Great. Well, I think, I think that's going to, uh, wrap up this, this second episode. Uh, uh, any, anything else you wanted to, to mention Amy before, before we wrap it? I no, I'm just really excited that we were able to get through the, you've got a lot of cats today and bring in <laughs> Selena. I mean, as you and I mean, you and I are both cat owners and have such an affinity for cats. And I actually don't know this. If, if your cat is a rescue cat, both of my cats are rescue cats. Is your cat yes. a rescue cat? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we also have a thing for strays, Amy. Yes. <laughs> I do have a thing about strays. <laughs> Um, well, that's going to do it for, for this second episode of the bat and the cat podcast of penguins and cats. Um, we appreciate you joining us once again. We hope you had a good time and we hope you'll stay in touch. Uh, we are on Instagram at the bat and the cat podcast. Uh, you can also email us at bat and cat podcast at gmail.com. Um, but we look forward to having you back next week for our, the next, uh, we'll ra- we'll round out the first hour of the movie next week. Um, And we look forward to having you back in the Bat and the Cat podcast.